This is Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. This is the text that we've been looking at over these past few weeks in this How to Pray series. It says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, over the past several weeks, we have learned this prayer, and we have learned that this prayer would have come in a shift to understanding for the people who were listening to Jesus. And it's that this shift in prayer is important for us to understand because the conceptions that the people would have had about prayer in that time are the same misconceptions about God and ourselves that we get tripped up on today. So as Jesus is teaching this prayer to this people, he is addressing for these ancient people some of these conceptions that they had about their God, some of the conceptions that they had about the ways that they understood the mechanism of prayer and how it worked. And Jesus comes in and he really takes these misconceptions or conceptions at the time that we see as misconceptions. He takes them and he really flips them. And as he does that, and I want you to understand, this is such a critical part for us to understand this prayer. That as Jesus turns this upside down, as he did in so much of his teaching, what he did was he helped us understand how our, our misconceptions are wrong, and he teaches us a new way to interact with with God in in an authentic way, in the way that who God really is, how God sees us. He teaches us this through the prayers. And this is important because the misconceptions about prayer that people had and the misconceptions that we have impact how we pray or maybe in fact why we don't pray at all. But prayer is an important spiritual act in our lives. It's one of the most important spiritual acts that you can implement in your life at all. So learning how to pray the way that Jesus taught us to pray is significant for all of us. So over the past few weeks, we've looked at some of these misconceptions, and I've wanted to reiterate this every week because if you're jumping into this on week five, I want you to hear how we got to where we are. Now, I'd love for you to go back and listen to all of the sermons But it's a good reminder for us because this prayer really builds on every single phrase, every single week really builds us to the next one. So one of the first major misconceptions we can develop when it comes to prayer is that God is disinterested in our lives and not paying attention to us. And this was one of the major concerns of people in the ancient world. As I've said before, the gods of the ancient world were mysterious, angry, and distant, and you never knew if they were listening. So what would happen is, in response, prayers were written to be recited in public, and they were complex, and they were confusing, and the people who offered these prayers really did it as as professional praying people, and they would pile on different names and different attributes of their gods, and the idea was they would hope that whoever they were praying to would be awake that they would be listening, that they would be impressed by their words. In fact, maybe it was that they were actually praying that they would awaken them and that then they would listen to them. They wouldn't be offended by them, so they pile on all these other words and attributes. 
Now, Jesus began this prayer in a very different way, as we saw. He does this by telling us that God is already listening because he is a loving God, a loving Father. And he begins it this way. As I've told our, the kids in our youth group that this is a significant part of this prayer for them to recognize and to hear. It begins with our Father in heaven. And this idea is our Father, our loving Father. Jesus says before this that, that he knows what you need before you even ask him. He is a heavenly Father who is already listening to you. And then he goes on. He says, and hallowed be your name. God's name is also hallowed. So what he's saying is God is a loving father who is big enough, strong enough to hold us amid anything we face. And I've said this over the past couple weeks and I've reiterated this and I think this is so significant for us to understand. It was significant in the ancient context, context and it's significant for us today because he doesn't put first, God is big and strong and oh, by the way, he's listening and loving. Look at the order that Jesus places this in. This is a theological understanding that we need to get right exactly from Jesus. It is not that God is big enough and strong enough and, by the way, happens to love you and happens to be listening to you. No, Jesus says, God is a loving heavenly Father who is listening and loving and, oh, by the way, is big enough to handle anything you face. That is a completely different way to understand, a way that we need to learn, and a way that we need to be teaching the next generation about God. And then Jesus connects this. He moves on. He continues to connect this phrase, and as he talks about God, may we hallow God's name. So he says, hallowed be your name. But the way that he uses that, the way that that verb is written is that we would hallow God's name, that we honor God's name by inviting God to work in and through us as he continues on doing his will, uh, praying that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what we found is that we are to pray that we would live in such a way that God's peace, mercy, forgiveness, justice, and above all, his love would be experienced by people around us and that we would impact this world by the way in which we live. And then Jesus taught us that we should pray for our needs and the needs of those around us. So I want you to see how this prayer is developing. I want you to see how this prayer is building. I want you to begin to think about how you can be putting this prayer in your own words. Not just things that you pray, but things that you believe about God. Things that are the theological, really center for the rest of the theological house that you build as you begin to know and follow Jesus. Let's go back through this again, and then we'll come to where we're going to land today. Our Father in heaven, he is a loving God who loves you, who is already listening, who is big enough to handle anything that faces that, that, that comes your way. And then we continue to pray, and we say, may I live out the reality of your love and your goodness and your mercy and your grace in this world. May I live in such a way that your kingdom, that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So where there is suffering, may, may there be grace and peace. Where there is hurt, may there be healing. 
Where there is injustice, may justice flow. And where there is hate, may there be found love. And may that begin in my life as you work in and through me so that the people around me may experience your kingdom, your goodness, your mercy in this world. And then we pray, give us today our daily bread. And it's important for us to understand that what Jesus is doing here, he's saying, this is a prayer for our daily bread, but this is our plural daily bread. So this is, this is not a, just a shift in the prayer. It's not like Jesus says, okay, so we were talking about this one thing and now we're shifting down to this, to our needs. This connects right back to everything he said. It's completely connected to it. And he does this through this plural, our daily bread. So we are praying for our daily bread and we are praying for those around us who struggle to have enough. And when we pray... And when we realize we have more than we need, we are praying that God would use us to meet others' needs. And this then connects this prayer to the earlier part of prayer that puts us in line with God's love and desire of grace, mercy, and love in this world. Now, this was significant for the early church, just like today. So I pray for my needs. I pray for the needs of the people around me. And I pray that when I have enough, that I would share and that I would do what it takes to make sure that everybody has their needs met as well. But that doesn't always happen, right? So we see this in James chapter 2, starting in verse 15. It says, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. So I'm praying, our Father in heaven, give us today our daily bread. And I recognize that someone around me has incredible need. So he says, suppose brother or sister has these needs. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, listen to this, but does nothing about their physical need, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So to me, what I'm hearing here is that James is saying, sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we know what we ought to do. Sometimes we know what we should be doing but we just miss it, don't we? We allow our selfishness, our greed and judgment to take precedence in our lives. We all place ourselves on that throne as the king of our own kingdoms and fail to worship God as we worship ourselves instead. And when we do this, when we live in that way, we end up hurting people around us with the destructive behavior that comes out of a self-centered life. And this is what James is talking about. He says we all have a tendency to look around us and to see needs and to say, okay, God bless you, go and do, but we do nothing about it. And what James is saying is sometimes we live in such a way that we live these self-centered lives that end up hurting others around us because we place our needs and everything about us above everybody else, including God. Now, the word for this kind of behavior for living a self-centered life is a word that we try to avoid, but it's the only appropriate word to describe the problem here. And the word is the word sin. Now, the Greek word for sin that we find in the Bible is the word amartia. And people use this word to talk about archers missing a target, um, it it, they would talk about it as a word they would use to talk about people losing their way on a road 
And they would use this to talk about this idea and this concept of sin. Now, I want you to think about that. Archers missing a target, people losing their way on a road. Because when we talk about sin, we struggle to really put into terms what that means. And so we think about um, maybe specific things to do or not to do, but we don't think about a particular uh, way of living. And so I want to think about this, people losing their way on a road. You, you felt this way in life, I'm sure. You, you know where you're supposed to be going, but you end up in a completely different direction. For some of us, the, those directions have all, caused all kinds of pain for others. And if we're honest about it, it has made God feel like he was a million miles away from us. Now, being on a road isn't easy to define, but you know how it feels. You know what it feels like to be somewhere and be completely lost and not get, to go, not get to where you're trying to go, but to look around and say, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how to get to where I'm supposed to be. I just feel like I'm lost and I'm wandering and I just don't know. Well, you know what that's like. You, 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 you don't necessarily know how to define that, but you know how it feels. Well, sin isn't very easy to define, but we know how it feels. The good news is a story from the life of Jesus is going to show us today is that you aren't stuck in that place, lost and directionless. Jesus and his mercy, his grace and his forgiveness leads us out. So as we come to this part of this prayer today and forgive us our debts and forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our sin, we see that as we ask for forgiveness, that as Jesus teaches us to ask this, the times that we've missed the mark or the times that we've lost and gone lost and wandered away, he shows us the road back. He shows us grace and forgiveness and mercy. He shows this that forgiveness is real. And I want you to hear this story that helps us understand this. So when we come back to this prayer, we have this context and this story to help us to define that as we continue to put the words of that prayer in our own words. So listen to this. We start in John 8. It says this, At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to, to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And th isn't this the question that we're asking? When we begin to pray to God, we might struggle with how to address God. And it might take us time to get to that place. But we can imagine a God who loves us so much that he holds us. We can pray to not be selfish and to want what God wants. And we can pray for the things so that we rely on God. But when it comes to this point, when it comes to recognizing our own sin, the prayer can start to get uncomfortable. Sin is about being guilty of something. And if I'm guilty, I should be punished. And if I'm punished by the God of the universe, I'm not sure what I think about what that might look like. So we ask Jesus, what do you say? What do you think of me? What will you do about sin? 
See, I, I want us, as we hear this, as we think about this story, to not sit in that place and go, okay, Jesus, what will you do about their sin? What are you going to do about that person over there? I want you to hear, God, what will you do about my sin? What are you going to do about the places where I'm wandering? What are you going to do about the places where I'm lost? What are you going to do about me? Because as we come to this prayer from Jesus and we say, and forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our sin, whatever words you want to use in that phrase today, we're coming to God and saying, God, look, I know there's some place that I'm wandering, some places that I'm lost. And I'm praying for forgiveness. So what will he do? What does he do about sin? Let's continue the story. But Jesus bent down, started right on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who was at, without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down, he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now, please don't miss this. For far too long, this story has been called the woman caught in adultery. And it's always bothered me that the man in this story was exonerated. And he was, but not by Jesus. He was by the Pharisees who dragged this woman to Jesus as they ignored the man who was as guilty of sin. See, I think we have to clearly see and understand this, that these Pharisees drag this woman to Jesus while they ignore the sin of the man who was in the same situation. And ignore is the right word because they also ignore their own sin. Blinded by their anger with Jesus, trying to trap him with Theological gymnastics, they embraced one of the ugliest sins, which is judgment. And as they embraced this sin, they ignored the sins that polluted their own lives. And Jesus didn't let them get away with it. And he challenged that any of them without sin should throw the first stone. Now, we don't stone people today but we do love to judge. And judging people within the church, within society, has become almost an art form. It's become almost a game. There are people who excel at judging others. Maybe a different way for us to talk about it would be familiar language that we use at Southeast. I've said for a long time that we are to build bigger tables, not build bigger walls. And I remind us of this because we are tempted to build bigger walls. It's just part of our human nature. So here's what I want you to do. Next time before you go to build those walls, look at your own life and see if maybe you belong on the other side of that wall too. And you'll quickly realize it's by God's grace that we all get to come to this ever-increasing table. So as you look at others, 
And as you reflect on this idea, and you begin to walk over and you, you reach to that pile of wood and nails and hammers and you could walk over here and you could build a bigger table for others to come and to experience the love and grace and mercy of Jesus. There is a temptation on all of us that these Pharisees experienced, which is to walk over and take those same materials and build bigger walls. And all Jesus did in this was to say, hey, if you're without sin, if you think that others don't belong at this table, I want you to check, your, check yourself. Ask yourself, am I without sin? Do I maybe think, maybe someone who's looking at me think I belong on the other side of this wall? What you'll do is you'll quickly take those materials. You'll turn around and you build a bigger table. You'll put those things down and you'll walk into the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus. And you'll walk away from that place of judgment. Now that's what happens here to these Pharisees. As these men recognized their sin, they walked away. They recognized the wall that they were building. They recognized that they belonged on the other side of that wall just as much. And so Jesus confronts them with the sin of their judgment. And they simply walk away. And Jesus returned to the woman. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. And when Jesus says this to her, the emphasis isn't on her sin anymore. The word go was all about a new destination. Not wandering and lost in her sin, but restored and given a fresh start. The word save is this word sozo, which also means rescue and heal or restore. And Jesus' purpose was rescue and restoration, not condemnation. Jesus didn't ignore her sin, but he also didn't condemn her for it. Jesus didn't want to punish her. He wanted to restore her. But that's what we struggle to believe. See, even the Pharisees struggled with punishment and condemnation, even as they read words like this that we find in the Scriptures. Listen to Psalm 130. It says, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. In Micah chapter 7, we read this. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression? You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depth of the sea. See, some of us fall on the side that we struggle with asking forgiveness because of our pride. For others, we struggle with asking for forgiveness because of our guilt. And the problem with these extremes is that they paint a picture of a God who can't forgive because he doesn't have to or because he doesn't want to. And that's not the God that we see in Jesus. 
The person filled with pride has painted a picture of God so distant and so impersonal that sin doesn't matter because God can't do anything for them. The person filled with guilt sees God so distant and so impersonal because God wants nothing to do with them because he only sees their sin. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that we can come to him for forgiveness. Receive it and be made new. That's the God of this prayer that Jesus taught us when he said these words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Jesus wants us to pray for forgiveness because it is possible to receive it. Going back to what I said earlier today at the beginning of this message, we don't have to stay lost. We don't have to stay wandering. We don't have to stay in that place of shame or guilt or pride when we recognize that the way that we have been living has been hurting the people around us. That we can come and we can say, listen, I've wandered off the path. I've gone in a direction I shouldn't have gone. I I messed up, I screwed up. And we see Jesus saying, hey, come back. Come back on this road. There's no one here to condemn you, but there is someone here to invite you to welcome you back, to restore you to this place. So I invite you today, drop your pride, drop your guilt, drop your shame, and today embrace the forgiveness of God. Let Jesus lead you back onto that path today from wandering to following from sin to forgiveness. I want you to see something about this message today. Last week on First Sunday, I talked about the power of this prayer. And that throughout history, what people would do is they would make this prayer a regular part of their lives. So people would pray it in the morning. People would pray it again in the afternoon. And what's powerful about this prayer is that that, that's what I'm inviting us to do. I'm inviting you to make this prayer a central part of your life. People are afraid of terms like the word ritual, but I, I really think that is a word that I would use here. Make this a ritual as a part of your life. What would happen if we all began to pray this prayer? Now listen, I, I want to go back and I want you to hear this because I think this is critical for us as we come to this part of this prayer. What if you began to put this in your own words and every day you began to remind yourself, God, I know that you love me. I know that you were already listening, that you already knew what I needed before I even asked because you care about me. 
that I know you are a loving heavenly father. I also know, God, that you're big enough to face anything that I am facing in this life, that I can come to you, that I can recognize your goodness and your holiness. I can recognize that you are bigger than any of the situations that I face. I also, as I recognize that, see your goodness, see your love, see your mercy, see your grace, see your justice that is so different than everything we face in this world, including my own life. And so, Father, help me to live like you. Help me to live out your grace. Help me to live out your mercy. Help me to live out your justice in this world. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. May may what heaven looks like be present in this world as you work in and through me. Then, Father, I pray for the needs that I have in my life. I pray for the needs of my neighbor. And God, I pray that when I have all of my needs met, may I look at those around me, see the needs around me, have you work in and through me to meet the needs of my neighbors. And when I mess up, when I don't live that way, when I place myself as the king, when I put my pride before everything else, and when I hurt those around me, because of my decision to place myself in first place, would you forgive me? Would you lead me back on that path of learning to love like you, to show grace and forgiveness and mercy and peace and love? And see, friends, the power of this prayer is that I need to pray this daily. I know that I need to pray this daily because I need all of these reminders every single day, including forgiveness. Because it's not just a one-time thing that we live out, but it is a process. It is a process of giving my life to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It is a process of learning to live in love like Jesus. And none of us are perfect. And none of us will ever get it completely right. But that's what forgiveness is about. Forgiving ourselves enough to say, Father, forgive me. I've messed up. And knowing that he welcomes us back onto that path of learning to live and love like Jesus. Let Jesus lead you onto that path today. From wandering to following. From sin to forgiveness. And know it's true and hear these words today. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. Do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. 
if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this prayer that shows us who we are meant to be as we follow you. But God, at the same time in this prayer, shows us the places where we're falling short. God, I pray that when we recognize that tension, when we see those places where we're wandering or missing the mark, God, I pray that you would help us to avoid the places of pride, help us to avoid the places of guilt. Because, Father, we recognize that those two places are what keep us from you and keep us from accepting your forgiveness in our lives. Father, help us to live as humble followers of Jesus who are building bigger tables, not just for others, but also for ourselves. Recognizing, God, that you have welcomed everybody, even us, to your table to come and sit, to be in fellowship with you and with others. God, thank you for your forgiveness. And thank you for your invitation. And thank you for making us new. It is in your name that we pray today. Amen.